it's the best advice I could give anybody that wants to do something great. That's either an entrepreneur, athlete, anything. You are listening to the hottest podcast in the game. This is the Thought Force Podcast. Get ready. It's time to get in the zone. Here's your host, Eddie Salcedo. Play ball. What is going on, guys? Welcome into episode number two of the Thought Force Podcast. And I am very, very happy to bring with you guys Michael McHenry. Um, he's played part of seven years in the big leagues with the Colorado Rockies, Pittsburgh Pirates, and St. Louis Cardinals. And on top of that, he's also a analyst for the Pittsburgh Pirates on the AT&T Sports Network. Michael, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Um, no, I, I think that when we have a guy like you who has been around a lot of talented players um, and has played at the peak of the sport, I think there's a lot of good knowledge that we can come and learn uh, from, you know, the guys that are going about their business and that are the best at playing the game of baseball. Um, and just to start off, you know, I'd like you to kind of take us through a day of a guy kind of in the minor leagues and then a guy um, kind of in the big leagues and what you'd say the biggest difference is between kind of a day in the life between a minor leaguer and a big leaguer. <laughs> It's honestly night and day. I mean, when you're in the minor leagues, you're kind of fighting for your livelihood a little bit differently. You have to worry about what you're going to eat on a daily basis, kind of how you're going to prepare for that day. Everything's not necessarily taken care of you or for you as it is in the major league. So you go about your day kind of processing even from the night before, okay, what am I going to do today? What time am I going to the field? I try to make that very consistent. And then you walk through your routine throughout that day. And it's so different because – you know, most of the time you're exhausted because the travel's not as good, the, the equipment or the facilities aren't as well kept up. So there's a lot of different elements, a lot of curveballs that can be thrown at you in the minor leagues. But in the major leagues, not necessarily do you get pampered, but you definitely get taken care of in a whole different manner. There's more staff. There's more opportunities. There's a lot more people that are going to help guide you or push you in a different aspect. I mean, if you're in the minor leagues, you may get a little push if you're a top prospect or somebody that needs it. But I've always said and I always still believe that you have to own your own self. You have to own your own career and believe that you are the brand, whether you're in the minor leagues or the big leagues. So for me, my mindset never changed, whether I was in the minor leagues or the big leagues, because it can end in an instant. And if you think about that in life or in, in sports, you're ultimately going to have success because you're not always focused on, I'm going to get here and then you're satisfied, but you're never really satisfied. So you need to make sure you're focused. All right, this is where I came from and never forget this. Let's make sure we're processing through this whole thing. So when I get there, that process doesn't change. It's just amplified a little bit differently. Right. I love that. You know, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Gavin Lux and the Los Angeles Dodgers player development guy. Um, I forget his name, but that's one thing that they mentioned was regardless of the environment, you go about your business the same exact way, whether you're, playing in a minor league game in front of 200 fans or if you're playing in Dodger Stadium with thousands of fans on their feet it's all about going about your business the same way and keeping your process the same so I really really like that but uh a way I'd like to kind of take this podcast is a lot of mental game um kind of taking that aspect and view on the game um what were some 
mental cues that you use as a player if you did use them? I know some guys are talented enough they make a big league and don't really focus on the mental part of the game. Um, but when you felt, either if you felt the game was speeding up a lot or even if it wasn't, did you kind of rely on any mental cues, whether it was deep breathing, visualization, um, or were you a guy that didn't really prioritize that while you were playing? I'm a life learner, so I would prioritize anything to learn and grow from it because you never know where you're going to find that gold nugget. But mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of go really forward, then go backwards because where I got to later on in my career was a lot different than kind of building that knowledge and that wisdom. So mm -hmm. I think it all starts before you even think about a baseball, before you even show up to the ballpark, where are you at emotionally? Where are you at empathetically? Where do you feel like the day's taking you? What's going on in your life? Because that's going to affect everything else. So if I don't know how to handle what's going on in my life, I don't have someone to talk to or kind of release those things. I'm going to carry that in some aspect into the game. For me, if I was mad, I carry that in the game. I play great. It was one thing that always worked well for me. But there's certain emotions that I didn't play well with. If I was over, overly excited or if I was happy too much, sometimes that was a little too much for me. I would maybe go a little too fast. I had to slow myself down on those days. So the first thing I would do is always try to figure out what's going to put me in the best morale, what's going to put me in the best mindset before I even try to go to the ballpark because baseball was one thing, but it wasn't the most important thing. And I always, always wanted to remember that when baseball became number one, it was always a bad thing because it would end up making me press, try too hard, and ultimately fail. I mean, because – you're putting so much pressure on yourself that <clears throat> you, you forget that it's not the only thing in your life. You know, I have a wonderful wife. I have my faith. I had my family. I had friends to lean back on. But when I was leaning on baseball so much, I would never lean on them. I would lean on myself and kind of, kind of internalize it too much and just never, ever good. So that's the first thing is really focus on those emotions and, and focus on like empathetically, how do I feel? What do I need to do to make my mindset right? Whether it's you know, take some me time, read a book, listen to music, get away. I love the weight room. So that was probably where I spent most of my time. And then from there, those mental cues and things, as I grew in the game, were adaptable. So at first it was routine, mm -hmm. routine, routine, routine. Try to repeat that routine. Well, when you have someone pass away in your family, when you have knee surgery, which I've had five now, just, just had an ACL. You have to adapt to your routine because you don't know what's going to happen. You get hit in the hand in the game and you have to finish because you know if you come out, the guy behind you is hurt too. So you just want to finish that game. You're always trying to adapt and overcome little things. But if you never prepare for it, how can you ever adapt? So I started later on in my career actually preparing for bad things to happen. So that one way that when they did happen, I didn't have to worry about it. So if my batting glove ripped in the cage, I finished the day with it. Some days I would forget my batting gloves. I'd forget my bat. And just try to adapt throughout the day. So when that happened in the game, I broke a bat. It was my last bat in the minor leagues. Who cares? I've done this before. I've been here. No panic. Let's roll. And those little cues added up over time to where it would take a really significant moment, a weird moment, to really shock me. And it made my mm -hmm. mindset completely change because I was preparing for the worst, but ultimately expecting the best. But so often we expect the best and never prepare for the worst. And when we get the worst, we're still expecting the best, which is impossible. So mm -hmm. I just had a little bit of, you know, kind of tug and pull and change my mind as I went along and kind of 
went with what life threw at me. That's awesome. Um, when you mentioned that you prepared for kind of bad situations, can you take us into like in depth kind of like some examples of exactly what you mean by that? So, for example, <clears throat> if you're a baseball guy, basketball, football, doesn't matter. How often do you go to practice? Fresh. Probably about 90% of the time you, you go, you do your prep, you do your mobility work, you do this. I called it, <laughs> I called it the, uh, the tiger effect. Like you, you never see a cheetah or a tiger or a lion stretch usually, right? They just pounce on their prey. I would do a lot of workouts mm -hmm. without warming up. I would work out as much as possible, then go hit like I'm trying to hit in the ninth inning. Um, I would hit without pine tar, used to throw with a wet ball, just kind of do different things. Like I used to do some bullpens where I told him not to tell me if it's a fastball or change up when I was catching, kind of change that dynamic, which isn't very easy. But when it happened in a game, like maybe I catch the ball that I get crossed up on. I got really creative and it was fun to be honest with you because the challenge of it, like one uh, round I did in BP, for example, is hit everything. And it got to the point where we were trying to do like that old Larry Bird, Michael Jordan commercial, like bounce it off the wall, off the net, off that bat, and then hit it. And it was fun, man. It, it, it changed your, your outlook to what you're really trying to do. You're just there competing. And it frees your mind. And you have to figure out a way. If you don't, you fail. But you're not supposed to necessarily succeed. So it kind of gives you that freedom to fail. And so often in today's society, we say, oh, you need to fail to learn you this. But a lot of times people don't allow you to fail. You're not allowed to fail to learn. So I want to create spaces for my career and in my life where I can fail and learn. Love that. Um, and another thing that kind of applies to that is, you know, making practice harder than the actual game so that when you're in the game, you're just kind of doing your thing, playing, not thinking too much. And that's, I think, kind of a, an extension of what you were doing by throwing a wet ball or, um, you know, as like you said, preparing for the bad moments. It's just another way of thinking of making practice harder, um, but directly applying that to where when something that you don't like happens in the game, you look at it as, oh, I, this is just one more time of doing it. You don't see it as a bad thing to where other players might think negatively of that. Right. And, and the cool part is we're all different. Like no one's created the same. Some guys may not be able to handle that, but you can find your balance. And that's the key, whether, whether it's your mental skills, your emotional level, whether it's your physical, you have to find the balance and what makes you tick because we're all mm -hmm. different. But once you do, the biggest thing I see mentoring kids, whatever I'm doing now is guys don't own it. They don't take full advantage of what they know about themselves. They allow outside influence or they allow that, that little, I don't know, little voice in your head that is non-convicting to, to inch in and say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You're going to get made fun of. Oh, you shouldn't do that because of this. You just got to do it. If you want it, you want it. If you don't, you don't. But once you know yourself, don't run away from it. Absolutely. Um, kind of going off of you as a player, what specifically would you think about like when you were in the box or, or on deck? And then kind of take us through your thought process between on deck to, you know, when you stepped in the box as well as when you were catching, like what, what kind of things went through your mind while you were a player? So as a catcher, all I thought about was my pitcher. How can I make him better? How can I make him successful today? What's making him tick today? I'd always ask, I'd go back to those emotions. How do you feel? What's going on in your life? This is all before the game report and going over the scouting report because I wanted to know where he's at and knowing him as a person, 
really help me figure out what he was going to have that day. What's going to really make him kind of get that throttle going or even throttle back is all depending on how he felt prior to even picking up a ball that day. And I'd go from there, but my focus was constantly serving him as a brother. If I wasn't serving him, I wasn't my best self catching wise and stemming off of that. When I was doing that well, I always hit well. So like it doesn't go hand Mm -hmm. in hand. Obviously it's a game of failure. I was a role player, most of my big league career. So my mindset changed at the box when I was an everyday player was simplified, see it, hit it. I have one approach, maybe thinking right field, maybe thinking left field. I may sit on a pitch. Very, very simple. But once you become a bench player, it all changes because you may not play for five days. You may have three pinch hits this week, and one start. And that's when that adaptability really jumped into my training. And I realized if I would have trained like this when I was a starter, it probably would have made me that much better because I'm preparing for things that I didn't even realize existed until they actually did. And man, my mindset changed in the sense of I had one year that was really, really good. I was locked in doing all this. And then, you know, that's when I learned that next year I I tore my knee in spring training and the emotion of that affected me throughout the entire year. And that's when all this stuff started to come together. But the mindset, going back to what you said from the box, I'm visualizing what I want to do. So if, for example, I'm facing Kimbrel, for example, those really hard, I'm not leaving the fastball. I'm going to look for it below my hands because he's going to want to ride it. And I know if I look for it below Mm -hmm. the hands and he throws that breaking ball, I have a chance to cover it. If it's away, I'm spitting on it in my head. So as I'm watching, I'm watching how he's attacking those righties before me, the right-handed pool power hitter. So I understand this is probably how he's going to attack me. Then I'm going to look and see what type of stuff he has. Is it sharp? Is he, is he look a little panicky out there? Is he look like he's more himself? And then I'm going to find somewhere on the field. And I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to say, that's where I want to hit it. And then I'm going to get my timing. And then when I walk up there, I forget, forget about every single thing I just thought of. I do my little routine to clean out the box to make it my mark, to make it mine. And then I dig in and thoughtless. Love that. Um, going back to you catching, um, I know you mentioned kind of knowing your pitchers specifically and who they are. Um, did you feel like you had to, like when going out and talking to a pitcher, did you have to change your approach? Like some guys, you know, you had to give them a kick in the butt and tell them, you know, get them a little bit mad. And some guys you had to be kind of giving them more encouraging words of advice. Um, how did you kind of figure out who the pitcher was? Do you think that was more through experience or how other big league coaches talk to you? And how did you kind of uh, know how to talk to your pitchers? I made it about them. Uh, the one thing I see that guys don't do is they make it about themselves or they try to create a culture based on their philosophy instead of a culture based on the person's personality. And if you don't know the person's personality and you don't understand, like, for example, if a kid had a dad that yelled at him his whole life and you're up there yelling at him and he's in a big situation, he's probably going to overdo it in that moment. So like just understanding who they are, where they came from and figure out what they need, not what I need to necessarily give them for my justification, but what do they need? Because Mm -hmm. if they succeed, I succeed. And ultimately the team succeeds. So I want to focus wholeheartedly. What does this guy need in this moment? And I came up with all kinds of stuff. Some guys I'd have saying, some guys I'd tell jokes, some guys I'd yell at, some guys I would just literally go smash them in the chest, not say a word and walk back. It just depend on that guy in that moment. And the, the moments, a lot of times, 
would really shift the guy's personality because you could see in big moments, guys that were high heart rate guys or high strung guys, you had to figure out really how to bring them back down to earth and slow them down. Mm-hmm. And every guy like that is very different and very touchy. So it's a, it's kind of a give and tug. And that's why you spend a lot of time with these guys and you ask a lot of questions and, you know, you kind of listen more than you speak. Yeah, I think that that was very, you know, unique. I'd never heard of a catcher kind of uh, thinking about it that way to where if they had a dad that yelled at them, you take that into account because, you know, it, it's, all, it's all about, you know, knowing them as a person and having those conversations with them and just, you know, coming, you know, talking to them every day, those kinds of topics might come up. And as a catcher, that can be very, very valuable information that you can take with each of the games. So, no, that that's a very unique perspective that I hadn't heard before. Um, who were some players while you were in the big leagues that kind of opened, or not, not necessarily in the big leagues, but also in the minor leagues, that opened your eyes in terms of, man, this guy goes about his business. Like, they, and just something that kind of stood out to you where you were like, man, he, he does something like different, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily um, to succeed, but maybe guys that had like superstitions or anything like that, where you're like, wow, this guy's <laughs> different. <laughs> um, you know, one guy that I really looked up to were actually two guys, Michael Kadire and Justin Morneau. Um, Michael Kadire, mm-hmm. the way he went about it philosophically was incredible. Um, he could break down a pitcher. He could still pitches you know, just by seeing different things and the way he approached the game, he was literally, and I always tried to do this as a player, but I wasn't as good as him, is he would coach the game within the game. So, like, he was making the moves in his mind prior to them happening. So, like, he was ready to hit most of the times in a pitch hit situation before they called on him. He was just so far ahead of the game that, like, most people have to slow the game down. The game literally couldn't speed up for him. It was It was kind of remarkable. If you knew him, he wasn't the best athlete or the best runner, the best hitter, but like he hit 330, won a batting title. He's an all-star. He's in a home run derby. And he did it, I'd say 85, 90% off his brain. And in baseball, mm-hmm. they talk about it's so mental. It's so mental, but he actually proved it to me. Like it can be literally done with, with just your head. And he did it with his, with his head. It was so cool to watch. I watched him for two years in Colorado do that. And then Justin more no, the way he took care of his body. It was bar none incredible. He had a guy that he'd bring in to do IVs. He had people stretching him. He had different things. He was knowledgeable about it. He knew why he needed it. He knew when he needed it. And I used to sit in the cold tub with him every single day after the game. And we just talked about taking care of your body, approach, the mental game, anything we could think of to enhance our game, we we're always talking about. And he was one of those guys who was always looking for an edge. And that's my personality to a T. So I really hit it off with him and the way he went about his business and how he didn't accept that he knew it. So he's always reaching out to someone that had more knowledge, more wisdom, so he can gain that extra, you know, one-tenth of 1% on that other player that he's competing against. Right. Um, no, I think that's, that's a big thing is just being able to find any advantage and then at the same time never – never settling. I think I saw a Billy Wagner quote like a few days ago on Twitter where he said he never felt like he was good enough. And that was a big, big thing for him. And just, just keep learning. doesn't matter how good you are to other people around you, you and your mind don't tell yourself you're good enough. But at the same time, you don't tell yourself you're bad either. You know, it's kind of right. that, finding that balance between confidence um, and just 
having that, that balance between uh, how good you are knowing what's the optimal level for you to be able to perform. Um, going off of that, what, what are things that you saw consistently that guys in the big leagues had or that they did um, versus guys either in the minor leagues or at the college level? And kind of the, the thing that you would say, you know, this separates big leaguers from guys that play at lower levels. So I'm going to talk about the in-between guys, the guys that could be in the big leagues or could not, because sometimes talent's going to get you there. It may not make you stick, but mm -hmm. it'll get you there. So, you know, if you talk about the Mike Trouts of the world, I mean, that guy woke up, got a wand spread over him. If you're looking <laughs> at him to see what he's doing in the offseason, you're looking at the wrong person because he's right. a physically different being. Like Bryce Harper's, those guys, those aren't, guys aren't normal. Look at the guys that have grinded. Look at the Howie Kendricks. Look at the guys that have really had to fight to get there. Those are the guys you want to learn from the most. So with that being said, I can hit this I can hit this right on the head is the guys that are the most uncomfortable are always the guys that seem to get that next level. So never satisfied, always looking for the next new thing. And the last thing is buying in completely and owning what they're doing. So you can't shift lanes. You stay in your lane, you grab different pieces of information along the way, you sift it through like you're sifting for gold, you find that nugget that works for you, and you take it and run with it. So many guys try to take all this information in from these coaches and make it them, or they try to take it from here. Ooh, he hits like that, I'm going to hit like that. Ooh, he hits like that, I'm going to hit like that. No. What do you do? Who's someone similar to you that's maybe I can look at? Like I'm 5'9", 225 pounds. I'm built like a little brick. Who's somebody that's similar to me? Pudge is the same size as me. There's a ton of different catchers that are similar size to me. I need to look at those guys. How do they move? How do they take care of their body? What are they doing? Because they're similar in stature. Yeah, they're better than me, but that's what I want to look to. It's like somebody maybe a little bit better than me, but he's similar to me. And then you just keep growing. It's that ownership these guys take that take them to the next level. The guys in the minor leagues are, oh, here's my weight program. I'm going to do just enough. Here's my throwing program. I'm going to do just enough. They're, oh, I did all my checks. All the guys that are making it are checking and then going to their next check seat and checking that and then going to the next check seat and checking that. My wife said something the other day that is so true. More of the right thing is more. We always talk about less mm -hmm. is more. If you can find more of the right thing and do more of it, you're doing what you need to be doing. And that means just because you can't get in the gym because you're sore, you're beat up, read a book, listen to a podcast, learn, grow, ask questions. Whatever you can do to get that edge, that's the separator. Love that. Love that. Um, what would be, I mean, did, did you get any advice when you were in the big leagues or even at the high levels of the minor leagues that you said that kind of clicked for you? Where If it was either a veteran guy that's been around uh, the game a lot, either through direct words or actions, like what, what, were, what were some of the things of advice that you took from the guys that were older than you? It's the best advice I could give anybody that wants to do something great. That's either an entrepreneur, athlete, anything. You're, you're your own brand. Treat yourself like a business. And what I mean by that mm. is so often we try to penny pinch. We try to do this. We try to do that. And we're not putting in enough to get what we want. So like in the early minor league stage, guys, yeah, I was a seventh round pick. I had some deals right out of the gate. My agent did great for me. One thing I didn't have was bats. I didn't have good bats. So what did I do? I bought my own bats. 
if I didn't have something I needed, I bought it. I invested back in myself. And what happens when you invest mm -hmm. in yourself? I'm going to reap some reward from that. Yeah, did they all work out? No, but a lot of them did. And the guys that were swinging with crappy bats, maybe my ball went 10 feet farther, and that's the reason I got called up. You got to look at kind of all the elements and treat yourself like you're a business as you're moving forward. Because if you don't, you're, sh you're literally saying, I'm living for now and not preparing for my future. You know, like I love the, the concept of burn the ships. You know, if you really want something, like prove it. You know, burn the ships behind you, have no plan B, and let's see what happens. Right. One of the best coaches I've ever had, um, I remember he used to say this all the time, and he said, if a stranger were to walk in and come see either the practice or the game, what would you want him to say about the way you or your team go about your business? Like, well, what is that thing? And always keep that in mind. If, it, if somebody was coming to watch you for the first time ever, and that was the only time they ever saw you, what would you want to be kind of remembered um, for? And that's kind of the way you should go about every single day. Um, and that's one of the, that's a big like idea that stuck with me for a long time. And um, it's a big, big uh, idea that I think can be applied to not only baseball, but every part of life really is somebody's coming to watch you. What do you want to be kind of remembered for? Um, and, I, and you kind of hit it. Like if you were to give any advice to yourself, as a player now, knowing what you know now, it, would, you, would you say that's kind of the number one thing? Just have, you know, treat yourself like a business, treat yourself like a brand? Uh, the other thing I was going to say is uh, enjoy the process. Um, mm. we, we, we live in a society of self, you know, gratification immediately, and it's hard not to want it right then. So, like, learning how to set small goals and accomplish them for yourself not for the coaches or your other players or whatever is really important because that ultimately makes you a great team player too. Like we don't focus enough on enjoying the process, getting away from the game, focusing on ourselves and caring for ourselves. We try to do all of it in one giant basket and not literally take the time to just focus on the now. I was, I was sometimes very bad at that. And that's some advice I give to myself is always remember, enjoy this process Remember why you're doing it, and it's not the most important thing in your life, and it never will be. Mm -hmm. That's that's great. Um, when you were either in the minor leagues or in the big leagues, what would you say was one of the hardest or the hardest thing you had to do? Whether it was, you know, sleeping on the floor in a hotel room, or like, what what would you say was? Because I don't think a lot of people know exactly what goes on either at the minor league level or professional or even college. Um, but what, what would you say is the hardest thing you've had to go through in your baseball career? Oh, man. Um, the hardest thing is by far when my wife's dad passed away in 2008. Mm -hmm. and I was playing. I'm away from her. We're, we're getting married in a couple months. Um, that was the hardest moment in my, probably in my life and in my career. <clears throat> and that kind of stemmed all together and a couple different things. I got hit in the face that year. I had stitches. The next year – I was invited to play for Team USA. I got part of my ear taken off and wasn't able to go and got diagnosed with epilepsy and it was a mess. Um, but there's always twists and turns and, and life hits and it's not easy. I mean, it's one of the hardest, you know, it, it seems glamorous. I mean, you don't get paid much. Travel's awful. That's why the, the risk is so high, but the reward is so great. And I think mm -hmm. just focusing on 
that process I was just talking about is like, okay, sometimes I got to go step by step, sometimes day by day, sometimes it's thinking year by year. But something that me and my wife did that always helped is we, we always had a, a set date to talk and reevaluate where are we at, what's going on, like how do we you know, feel about where we're at in the game, how do we feel that we're at in our marriage. And that always helped me to kind of reflect and look back and see what's really going on. You know, has there been some growth here? Am I getting stagnant? Why am I getting stagnant? And that really helped me when I decided to retire, to walk away from the game on my own terms, which a lot of guys don't get to do. And I would highly suggest anybody that's playing baseball or chasing a dream to kind of always have some time to look back and reflect on what's going on, where they're really at, where are they missing the mark? Because like, yeah, all this bad stuff could be happening, but how are you reacting to it? Is it a good way you're acting or a bad way you're acting to it? And that'll probably tell you kind of where you're at in your career. If you're acting to it pretty well and you're adapting to it and things just seem to kind of jump after that, probably doing something really really good and you're in the right place if not you probably need to reevaluate recheck yourself and kind of come up with a better game plan so I could throw all kinds of weird stuff actually that happened I mean there was a hostage situation one time that that oh, game wow. got canceled on yeah FBI SWAT um, they had a sniper in the uh the light tower got a game canceled on that um, we got winded out a couple of times you heard that correct winded <laughs> out 65 <laughs> mile an hour wind played through a uh a hazardous, a biohazardous chemical fire one time. That was, that was pretty interesting. So, I mean, the, the stories throughout the minor leagues could be a, a podcast of its own, I believe. I mean, it's just a wild right. adventure. I mean, played in the Dominican, played in Hawaii, played all across the country. I mean, it's just a fun experience, and you create a lot of life during it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's, I think, a big takeaway is that you know even though minor leaguers aren't getting paid you know you're playing a game that you love and the experiences are you know some of the best experiences you'll look back on once you're done playing and um, those will be days that you always kind of look back and cherish the the memories that you had and all the friends you made while playing in the minor leagues but I want to go back to kind of your in-game mental thought process were there any times where either you or your teammates were able to catch on pitchers tipping their pitches? It's one of my favorite things to do still now as an analyst um, all the time. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is, is relaying it. So if, if I catch it and I'm at second base and I can see his hand because he has his glove open or if there's a wiggle, it's not the fact of finding it. It's really trusting yourself for seeing what you're seeing. So too right. often we try to – make sure too much instead of taking that gamble it was always a huge reward if you took the gamble and you saw it and you just went for it like for example kershaw will tip that curveball a lot um he still does it but it's just trusting it because if if he throws a slider you're going to look like a moron so you just got to make sure and kind of dive all the way in i mean you can't can't stay on the edge on those so yeah i mean it was fun i mean you if you ever want to like play around with it, start with their breath. It's one of the biggest mm-hmm. keys you'll ever see. Like, how are they breathing? And usually the pitch, they, they don't throw for strikes. They may take a deeper breath or they may hold mm-hmm. their breath and then go from there to the face, the hands, and work down. You'll find stuff on every single person if you look hard enough. It's just, do you trust it? Do you want to do it? And it gets hard. And same thing with stealing signs. It's not hard to steal signs if – 
you know what you're looking for. It's just hard. Are you going to accept what, you know, the guy at second base is telling you, the guy at first base, whoever's relaying those signs. It's hard to put that trust in that because it's your bat, it's your career, and you want to make sure it's right. So I would say if anybody's learning how to do that or want to take it to the next level, practice it and really start to believe and trust it. And if it doesn't work out once, don't give up on it. I like that. Would you say, like, just out of curiosity, like, do you most commonly see it be like a glove action, the breath, like you mentioned, leg lift, or is it kind of, would you say, spread out across the board? It really just depends on the guy. Um, I would say the number one I didn't even mention is the tempo. How, like, mm. how fast do they, like a lot of guys go faster in their windup on fastballs, slower in their windup and all speed, especially at a young age, but out of the stretch big time, the way they come set, you know, if they're throwing a pitch really, really well one day, watch those guys come set super fast on that pitch. Ooh, my curveball's mm-hmm. good today. And they come up <laughs> and they're kind of ready to throw it so bad, especially college and down. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and too, like, I mean, I was at a college game last year and every time the guy threw his out pitch, he smiled every single <laughs> time. I mean, it's just wow. funny. The human mind, like it is, it, is so predictable sometimes if you allow it to be like, and as soon as you get him thinking that he's maybe tipping his pitches, you won. So that's the, that's the right. biggest thing is like, if I could always win the battle of making him think that we had their pitches, that was a, a win for me whether I was playing, whether I knew it was coming, whether I didn't, it always helped the team. Wow. That's, that's a very unique perspective that, you know, again, I haven't really heard before is being able to see like their, like their breath. I hadn't really thought about that as being able to sit their pitches or even looking at their facial expressions. But a lot of times, like you said, just getting them aware that they might be tipping their pitches. Now they start overthinking, they try to change it, and then they don't execute the pitch as well as they, should be so it, it all kind of trickles down but it's all about being able to being willing and able to put in the work and then also buying in like you said which is you like one of the hardest things is being able to see it in the dugout and then once you're on the field either being able to relay it or actually perform and, and do what you trust um and see uh i know we're coming to the end here i don't want to keep you on for too long i know you, you're a busy guy and you got things to do um but what's one, like, did you have any moment in the big leagues where you kind of had an aha moment or an epiphany where, where either a coach, a player told you something and it clicked, whether it was like physically, like a mechanics thing, catching or hitting. Um, did you have any aha moments kind of in either in pro or college baseball? Yeah, I had a couple. Um, <clears throat> so coming up through the minor leagues and even in college, I had an absolute bazooka. Somewhere along the way, I tore my labrum played through it, never had surgery, kind of lost that feel a little bit. And for a long time, I tried to constantly find that arm again and, and recreate that feel and all this stuff. And then someone along the way said, you know, focus on the real more than your feel. And when I started doing that, especially with my throwing, it changed everything for me. I started throwing better. I was just as quick. I didn't have as good of, good as of an arm, but I changed my ways. And I focused on what was really happening instead of what I was trying to feel and want to happen. It was awesome for me. And then another thing is with my swing in 2013, I wanted to really dive in on how to be a bench player. I was 2012, I had a good year. I was one of the best bench players in baseball. I had 12 homers off the bench. Felt good about it, but I struck out too much. I knew there was more in the tank. 2013, 
I was up and down, up and down, played hurt, got hurt. So I said 2013, I was going to, when I was hurt, I'm going to figure this out. What am I doing wrong physically, mentally, mechanically with my swing? And I played the season. I was hitting 300 in the minor leagues, got called up, stayed in the big leagues, was hitting well. But there was one moment where it all kind of just came together as a guy that's a sustaining coach, one of my good friends, he said, man, your legs are so big don't leave the ground. And it sounds so simple, but in that moment I was like, yeah, don't leave the ground. So I started swinging constantly with my back foot planted on the ground. And I realized that for probably three or four, maybe even five years, and I don't know if it's from an injury, I don't know what it's from, I was planing up just the slightest bit to where instead of catching the ball flush, I was either knuckling it or just barely mishitting it. I'm telling you, like, my hard hit contact went up. My line drive percentage went up. I ended up hitting 315 that year, like, off the bench. It was a completely different aura for me. And it was just that little simple thought. I mean, he didn't say bolt your back foot. But when he said that, that was my first thing I thought of. Now they're teaching it. It ends up becoming a kickback because of the force you put against your front side. But it was a game changer for me, and I realized it worked in my throwing. If you go to biomechanics with the pitcher – the longer the guy stays on the mound or on his rubber with his back foot, usually creates a little bit more power. So mm -hmm. those two things were really game changers um, for me. I could probably think of some more, but right off the top of the head, that's it's two things that really helped me out. Yeah, I always love kind of hearing players when they kind of figure it out because most of the time it's not it's not a mechanical thing. It's just something that you hear either – you know, outside of the cage or like you said, in the dugout to where it's just, a, it's just a quick mental adjustment and boom, everything happens. You know, one thing fixes the next. Maybe you think about your legs and maybe that, that like you said, that fixed your, your plane. Um, one thing leads to the next and that's, that's a big, big idea. It's just keeping it so simple let, and tinkering let, with let your approach. Let me piggyback on that for you. Is like mm -hmm. the, the, the one thing is like every, like I told you earlier, everybody's so different. Like I, I encourage you as a player or, as a mental skills guy or even any coach I talk to, I say, say it as many ways you possibly can think of and let them figure out what works for them. And then they have to take that and run with it. That's one thing that I see constantly with kids. If they tie everything to what I'm and they don't create their identity for themselves, nothing's ever going to work for them. They have to create that identity mm -hmm. and really create that game plan of who they are and then share it with me. And then I'm going to just reaffirm it constantly for them. So that way, when they're going bad or whatever, we have a game plan of what, what, do, what do they need to be affirmed by? What do they need to hear? What's their identity? And where are we missing those links? And we just link them back together. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Kind of being able to find your identity, I think, is huge, whether it's in baseball or in life, just being yourself. Um, I have one more question, and I promise I'll let you go. But um, did, did you have any – or like either when you were playing – or now that you have found, are there any books, podcasts, people to follow online that you would encourage either players or coaches uh, to follow that you, you think have great uh, information either online or in a book? Yeah, I would, I would start with Andy Andrews. Any book you pick up, one of my favorites is uh, Traveling Gift, um, Relentless, um, talking about all the stuff that's been going on with Kobe right now, it's a perfect book to pick up. It's his trainer, mm -hmm. Michael Jordan's trainer, D-Wade's trainer. 
Um, Mind Gem's good. I mean, there's a lot of great books, but one thing I always tell people is get outside your realm. Um, if you want to learn something about real mentality, go read a biography. Um, Seven Great Men is a great book. There's a lot of good books, but if you can kind of find a different way to look at it, you'll have a different perspective. You'll gain a wisdom that is kind of more, I guess, superior to the rest because you're looking mm -hmm. at what George Washington did in his life to be a farmer to possibly the first king of the United States, not president, king. And that's interesting to me because his success can correlate to my success if I can context it in the way I need to understand it. And then from there, you know, mind mag magistry, magistry mind, the Seattle Seahawks uh, middle skills guy is really good. The kid I'm mentoring, yeah. Edge 90, um, rebranding his business into Meta New. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be very different in middle skills. Um, Bernie Holliday's the, uh, the middle skills coordinator for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's very, very good. And then Jason Kuhn, he's a Navy SEAL. He's a really good friend of mine, really works on team and culture. If you don't know him, you should go look him up. He's very, very good. He, his teachings have come a long way. He's about to come out with a book. It's really good stuff. And then, I mean, Mark Devine, we can go all kinds of places. I'm a big advocate <laughs> of those guys. Yeah. Well, no, that's all I had kind of for this, this podcast. Uh, I thought we got a lot of gems in this podcast. I think a lot <laughs> no of, doubt, no doubt. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great content that a lot of people can benefit from, either a player or a coach. Um, and I know that you're going to be the Pirates analyst on AT&T Sports Network. So if any of you guys uh, happen to be watching the Pirates home broadcast, you might be able to find Michael on there and, you know, say, hey, I listened to a podcast with him. So, no, thank you for coming on, Michael. I really, really appreciate you, you coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. God bless you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Thought Force Podcast. 